So we've been thinking. So we've been thinking. The podcast. If there's only one path to get to your destination, it's pretty easy to make sure that you arrive where you're supposed to. But what happens when we create a variety of paths and many options? What skills become necessary when that's the case? Whether it's hiking or, in this case, reading. Well, uh, I'm Shaylin Farnsworth, and I live in Iowa, the great state of Iowa. Right now, um, I support districts in a region in the state, focusing on literacy, school improvement, technology, project-based learning, so just a montage of things. Um, And that's my current role. I was a high school English teacher for a very long time, Uh, a woman of many hats. Yeah. Well, it seems like you're very much into a lot of education. So I'm kind of interested and excited to ask you our our typical first question on So We've Been Thinking. Um, So what are you currently thinking about in education, where where is your where are you spending time with your thoughts? I spend a lot of time on literacy and how um, our definitions are shifting and changing because of contemporary communication modes um, and what, what that means to be literate in today's society. A lot of time on that, probably more than I should, but that was part of my master's study and so it's always been a passion of mine um so that's one area uh another area um that uh my friend steven anderson and i have been exploring was the differentiation in inclusive classrooms and how we have all these great foundations and theories um and kind of the ed tech spin on that and how ed tech plays into those different areas and provides advantages for not only teachers but kids um a lot of random things that have been coming up. You and I have spoke about some of those. Uh, the other day I got into an interesting conversation with uh, a group of teachers on uh, this generation and um, how they can Google content. And so are we doing a disservice to our students when they don't know deeply about content in different areas? I think that's a interesting concept. Take, for instance, Shakespeare. So if they don't know Shakespeare are they missing all of the influences and illusions and references in their daily lives? So are we doing a disservice and you could take any content to our kids when we don't dive deep into content? Hmm. Well, that's a, I mean, right there, I'm, as you list all of those things and I'm trying to think about where I'd like to ask you some follow-up questions, we could do an episode on every single one of those. Oh, things. and one more too, um, research. Okay. So why, um, how research and what are the implications on uh, what we do in the education field, in the classroom, um, you know, what is seen as important, what's tested, what's uh, left out, and uh, what are barriers teachers have to access, access um, research and how it's mm-hmm. become kind of an ambiguous term. That last one sounds a little bit tied to literacy. If we were going to talk about like pedagogical literacy in education, it kind of ties into this idea of um, how do we know what we know? How do we like, how do we know we're up to date on what's going on? And I, I agree with you a lot of times, um, in, unless you're on your own doing work, uh, to learn what's going on in education, you're subject to waves of, I, I, I don't want to diminish them by calling them fads, but like, like common trends in education. Right. And you have to kind of discern and, and dig through things. And I think that it's, 
you know, a good leadership allows you to put that research out there and let them make their own decisions. Kind of like in the classroom where you want to say, here is what information we know. What do you make of this information for students? I think that learning and, and teaching, um, there's something there to talk about. I, w- I want to, though, go back and talk a little bit about literacy. You know, one of the themes on the show is let's talk about, like, what literacy was and how we're redefining literacy in this new world, right? So literacy before, I think we could agree, was commonly uh, looked at. You were literate if you could read and if you could write, right? right. Like, but that's communication. And, um, like, but we could go back into a, a time when uh, being able to communicate was you know, much simpler. Cave paintings were a form of communication, and people that was like quite a skill at the time to be able to do it. So um, maybe let me start with this question to kind of go back to where we've had in some previous episodes. Um, how should we be defining literacy today based upon the new technology and the new uh, forms of communication that exist? I think it's easier to define it in terms of qualities individuals possess. I'll kind of give you a, a little bit of background and, and foundation so that we can uh, branch off of that. And please stop me if questions come up. <clears throat> so if you look at traditional literacy and uh, you think back to your own schooling when you were in the classroom as a student, what are some typical things you would have read in your high school English class? Oh, in mine? Oh my gosh, let me think. Catcher in the Rye. Okay. Um, of Mice and Men, these okay. classics. Um, a lot Honestly. of times, for whatever reason, it seemed like I read an awful lot of Depression era books when I was in high school. Right? Okay. <laughs> Now, uh, the question is, were any of these online yet? I'm, I'm 100% sure they were not. Okay. So uh, if you look back to most of our school, most of our education, when we were students, um, we read something called unimodal, mm-hmm. one way. And right. so it was print, print on text. And there's one way to access it. Um, and uh, uh, contemporary literacy and communication has what's known as multimodal. And so if you look at information that's consumed today, um, it's not that students are reading or writing less, they're actually reading and writing more um, than ever before because uh, the first thing that they do is flip on their phone and read their messages or skim um, the news or check out uh, social media platforms. So students, currently are reading and writing more than ever before, but they're doing it in a way um, that's dynamic and uh, it's called a multimodal, which means that you can hover over terms and it defines them, or there's elements of design to communicate uh, information, or there's things that are hyperlinked, um, sponsored content that you and I have spoke about before. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, while there's a shift, I think, in literacy, not necessarily um, a change, I think that there's a shift because I think that um, the same skills are needed, um, but I think additional skills on top of that to consume, create, and understand um, what we read online because of the multimodality of those things. I, I spent a lot of time working with schools in North Carolina and Texas in the last few weeks. And one of the things that when, I, when I'm talking to them about using technology in their learning and literacy, uh, one thing that resonated with them was the idea of like the different types of files. 
and a person said, is, is teaching someone the difference between an EPUB file or a doc or like something that we need to do? Is that what it means to be literate today? And it kind of made me pause because it, it's such a simple question. And I, I think about literacy in terms of like, can you communicate through audio? Can you communicate through video? I think that that's a place to go. But it made me think, um, is a new literacy that a student needs to know how they can transform a text in an EPUB file through iBooks. Like you can make the, the text bigger, you can change the font, right? And an autistic student can create a totally different environment for the materials that they're reading. And for me, I think that um, it isn't about the tool necessarily, it's about the student understanding of how they can transform the reading experience to an experience that's necessary for them, right? Yeah, and so I would, you know, uh, well, when we were discussing earlier what I've been thinking, I would see that um, more in like inclusive classroom, that differentiation work that Stephen and I have been doing with Microsoft and how, uh, you know, they've provided um, accessible content uh, in inclusive classrooms because they know themselves as learners and um, are introduced to those tools because that's, you know, what assistive tech is to allow them for independence. Assistive right. technology, the goal is to have students independently be able to access, communicate, and partake in those, um, you know, communication and consuming. I think when you look at literacy and, and pedagogy mixed together, I think um, it's a little bit different because before they can even know how they need to manipulate it in sure. assistive tech-wise, um, they have to understand um, the multi-dimensions and the components of what makes something online different uh, than what traditional print is. And right. I think that's a, that's a hard concept. And this work has been done, like I said, it started um, in the late 1990s. A group got together called the New London Group, and, and they talked about what does this multimodal um, communication online, what does that mean for the teaching of literacy? And they talked about such things as students need not only to be able to understand um, audio design, but also visual design. Um, They call it gestural design. Are they understanding the global implications of gestures, um, physical features, um, customs, cultures, that makes it very global, along with linguistics, um, which is way high elevation, you know, unless you're deep into literacy area. But I think if you think about it and you put it in um, what teachers need to know to support students on a skill set they need, um, so we don't have, as Kyleen Beer calls it, um, illiterate literates, somebody who can read an EPUB online because it's basically just a, you know, a, digit, a digitized worksheet or a digitized EPUB. But do they really know how to read something that's dynamic? Um, I think you, you need to talk about design elements. I think the spatial design, I think you need to talk about audio. Um, linguistics could include structure, format, transitions, mm-hmm. and visual. And so I think uh, being aware of those elements, along with that healthy skepticism and fact-checking, right. are that skill set that's missing. Um, okay. And kind of what you have is people who can word call and read um, the words, but are they really literate? So you have a, um, 
uh, you're developing a nation of illiterate literates. Right. Um, and that's why viral news is spreading and people um, don't know how to access information or understand them, uh, how to read it. I figure one of the best things about this podcast is that we can bring people on who are experts in their field and we can go down the rabbit hole, you know? So right. what I love is that you, I mean, there's a hundred things I could ask you questions about, like gestural design and visual design. But mm-hmm. if we want to talk about mo- multimodal literacy, um, and let's say that a teacher is listening or an administrator is just listening to this podcast for the first time, and they don't know where to begin, mm-hmm. where might you start? What are some things that teachers and schools can start doing to really start digging into these concepts and this this idea of multimodal literacy? I think um, first is the awareness that students um, and adults will read um, continuously more information online, um, that that's not going away. And so to um, have a classroom void of that discussion and those skills being taught um, because of whatever reason, whether it's access, fear, um, resistance to change, um, does a, a disservice not only to our students' future working lives, but also to their civic and personal lives. And so, um, you know, uh, having this whole child global view and how can I um, uh, support students in not only consuming, but also creating um, information in a digital world that allows them to be healthy skeptics Uh, be able to fact check and be able to uh, be advocates for themselves and others in a global society. And so it's more than just reading and writing. Where would you start? I think wherever you feel comfortable, I think knowing that there's a difference between two-dimensional and three-dimensional reading. Traditional text, you read left to right. Right. When you look at something online, it's uh, across into beyond. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, traditional text, the author was in control. Online, they're in control. Right. Um, and so there's lots of different uh, skills that need to um, shift and be supported. And so we have students who are not citing things from the onion. Or right, right, uh, like my Ignite, when uh, I shared that story about a student um, using a, <laughs> a traditional checklist to uh, cite a .org, and it happened to be one that was... Uh, supported by a white supremacy group. Right, uh, right. So how can we uh, make sure our students aren't getting duped? Um, and you know what's funny? When you talk about that, I think that you're talking about this idea of linear reading, right? Like if you get into a, a, a traditional text, there is one direction to go. Unless, of course, you're going back to a choose-your-own-adventure book. And I think That's that, right. Those were great. Right. Online reading is a lot more like a choose-your-own-adventure book. I'd love to get data on how much, like, um, how long does a person go reading in a particular article before they click and they go to another place? Like there's something to be said about the geography of reading too, because as you're reading, there's another interest that comes up and you click that link and go on. Do you finish reading that article? Right? Like there's many right. paths that that can take. And I think that that's a skill that we can address. I mean, um, as a teacher, you get used to a student when they're reading a, a, a PDF, they're going to go through that document. There's no live uh, connections in it. Right. And adding those those exit points, those connections is a positive thing in that it provides them with resources to get depth on a particular interest at a given time. But at the same time, there's a how do we teach them to make sure that they come back and stay on task and not just kind of get off into. uh, I I remember reading a choose your own adventure book to extend that analogy and getting to a point where I was just reading through the endings, not in order. 
And you lose something from that book too, but that skill and that understanding of how it works uh, is maybe something I haven't spent enough time really thinking about. Like it's or not even, a linear process. Or even, a, you know, um, instead of uh, diving deeply and, and clicking on those links that might take you to a resource that supports, what about those the ones that don't? So if you're looking for um, fires in uh, businesses and the evolution of, of how, um, you know, fire safety evolved and, and that sort of thing, um, you have this, uh, remember the Triangle Shirt fire yeah. and how that, that, you know, that warehouse, they were all locked in there and the fire doors were blocked with fabric, which just blew right. it up. Well, if you're searching online and that comes up and then there's a link to uh, lead you to maybe a a different example in fire safety, Um, there's a link further down. uh, You click on it and it's, we didn't start the fire. It's a video, music video. Um, Here's another one about uh, fire safety um, across the country. So what is relevant are those things when you go deep into sites relevant. Um, So it is it's important for kids to read uh, laterally and Mm -hmm. see um, if those uh, things are not only supported other places, um, but it it provides a different view. Deep into one site. Well, and and I think that that's a a socialization issue as much as anything else. When we're in our classrooms, every teacher is in an actual physical space, that physical environment. And we learn quickly to socialize our students to eliminate distraction and work within that environment. When I first started teaching, I was in a Catholic school with no air conditioning and we had to get past the fact, the fact that it was 90 degrees and I had two airport, like airplane fans blowing in the room. I, we had to speak loudly. Our behavior had to change the way we communicated altered. Um, we were also next to the office so we could see people going into the office and we had to socialize not to be distracted by the volumes of people who would go in there. And I think that our, our, our online learning environments are very much the same thing. And when you're in a learning environment, if you don't know that environment and the distractions that can present itself, how do you prepare students to work within that environment, right? And so like you said, not every link is a valid link. How do you make that choice? Like how, much, choice? how much time should we be spending? And I like to call them learning errands. When you're in a classroom environment, there's a, a link that takes you somewhere or there's a, a, a thought that you want to pursue. How deep do you go within to where you determine it's a a tangent and you need to come back. And part of that is just like, again, socialization. When you walk down the hallway and you were a student going to the washroom, how long could you like look at uh, art on the walls or listen to another class that was teaching before you were, I don't know, going to get corrected or get in trouble. And in very much the same way, I think that that socialization portion of this in each environment uh, is kind of what bounces in my head as as you're talking about that. Along um, with, you know, the teacher knowledge, understanding, and support of how to even recognize this and right. how do you support those skills. Yeah. Um, and that didn't even get into, uh, you know, the uh, fake news, media bias, yeah. um, fallacy, uh, right. half-truths out there, along with a, a whole other element when we were talking about uh, visual, spatial design elements. And so how did those types of things convey meaning? So there's a lot to think about, right. um, and uh, for a student to be literate, um, you need to consider those things because that's going to be their life, uh, right. not only in their working but also personal and civic. And so, I mean, there's so many different ideas that we could go into right now. I'm, I'm really excited because, like, um, I go back and listen to all these episodes and kind of 
I have a list of other places where I can go and learn. So, um, but I, I want to redirect us back to one of the things that you started off saying that you were talking about, which is how deeply are we engaging with the content? And as we were talking just then, I was thinking there, there could be two different ways of looking at that nonlinear uh, reading process, right? You could see it as um, if they click on a link, they're getting distracted from the specific learning that we're asking about, right? Or you could look at that as saying when they click on a link, they're getting a, a ticket to some what much more deeply uh, specific knowledge, right? So that could be deeper. I think both of those could be true. I think, uh, what are your thoughts on how deeply we're going into the content? And maybe you could pair that with that online reading experience a little bit. Well, this was just an initial thought and I haven't um, completely arrived at my own understanding of it yet. But I wonder, um, looking back into my own classroom, um, the teachers I work with right now, because of this access to information, um, and the ability to uh, get the cliff notes, um, find uh, deep thoughts or questions online by not, let's say, let's take a literacy, and you can put this in the social studies lens, by not reading the book yourself or not diving deeply into it, whether through discussion um, or research, and just kind of glossing over it reading a, you know, a, an annotated version of it or a partial version of it. Um, are we doing a disservice because of the interconnectedness of uh, how life is? Mm -hmm. Are they missing um, the understanding of, let's take, for instance, Shakespeare or the Bible? Do they not notice those references in movies, songs, character names um, on TV, on the web? Do they not recognize allusions um, to these different things that have always been part of the world um, because we don't dive deep into the content. Right. I don't know, you know, and, and then on, on the other hand, I wonder, um, I remember having kids fill out uh, common phrases that they heard like as white as a ghost or, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, dead as a, as a doornail. doornail. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, probably about 10 years into my teaching, those common sayings were completely foreign to them and they couldn't even fill out five of them. Right. Um, because they didn't know it. They didn't have the, the anchor right. um, of knowledge. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I love that you brought up Shakespeare because you know how you have that experience that like shakes you from your traditional beliefs. Um, I, I, there are some things I, I love technology. I mean, I travel around the country teaching people about it. Um, I spend a lot of my life talking to people about technology, but I love, there's some things I prefer on paper. I prefer the feel of a book in my hand and I prefer a to-do list on paper, right? But right. there was a moment where that, that comfort is more tradition. And uh, there was a person who shook me and brought me over to the idea of EPUBs and online reading. And it was a, a, a woman who was at the first EdTech Teacher iPad Summit and I had had an iPad maybe for like a year and a half, two years at this point. And she gave me a file to Shakespeare. It was a, their version of Shakespeare. But what they had done is they had taken the text of Shakespeare and they had included links to five or six different people performing the same skit, the same portion of that Shakespeare. So as you read the text, you know, Shakespeare was written to be performed live. 
But we are exposing most of our students to the Shakespeare that they get through reading it in text. And I feel like there was something lost there. And she demonstrated that to me by showing me three two-minute video clips of the exact same lines of Macbeth and how each person interpreted it differently. And then there was this discussion of, is that what Shakespeare intended? And uh, because of the different interpretations, what I really understood was I understood the text so much because I watched three or four people's perceptions of how that text should have been performed. And it was all done within a book format. So I was reading Shakespeare. And my experience of reading just that one Shakespeare book was so much deeper. Like, like I get goosebumps thinking about it now because mm-hmm. I truly understood, one, the art of acting, that he yeah. was writing for the, the, for the spoken word and that it wasn't necessarily meant to be written. I also learned it through variations. There was another section later in that text where it was Shakespearean, like a play that you think of as being Shakespeare, but the various different ways that it had been retooled and respoken across the years. Okay. Shakespeare changed. And so uh, I, this is a very long drawn out example of why it's meaningful to me to read in those ways. You can take Shakespeare on the written page as it was never intended to be consumed. And you can bring it to students so much more richly. And that, what that gave me, Shalem, was depth. Every link that, link that I clicked wasn't a distraction. It was truly a meaningful experience. And, you know, we think that we have to have authentic experiences where we take the kids out into the streets and we take the kids out to field trips. I think that's true. Those are good. But I had an authentic experience with Shakespeare through that text. And I I completely agree. I think that to, it doesn't have to be an either or. I think that there is, um, you know, what you experienced was, what is it, Dale Eggers' cone of learning. And so you learn by doing, and that transfer was huge. I'm talking about not necessarily uh, that it should be online or or print. I'm not trying to make that argument. I think um, uh, online is obviously just what you experienced. You can have different views and lenses, and there's a great, it's called a Canadian folio that does all the Shakespeare. I'm talking about, are we glossing over things so quickly um, that kids can't dig deeply into it. So are we not even teaching Shakespeare or are we, you know, just teaching a snippet of it um, or, um, you know, something uh, in the social studies realm? Are we just glossing over it because they can access it quickly and they don't really know it and understand it? So I'm not talking about, you know, the modes in which they can see it. I'm talking about information in general. Our kids... Uh, losing background knowledge and deep understanding of subject right. areas because they don't dive deeply into content. Yeah, that you're thinking, if I'm hearing what you're saying, more about the mile wide and inch deep versus yeah. like a big deep slice. I, my analogy when I talk to teachers about this concept is that you can drag your finger across the surface of a cake from one side to the other and taste it and say that cake tastes good. Or you could forego 90% of the cake take one deep slice and taste that and which of those experiences is the most accurate depiction of what the cake is. Exactly. Right. And so if I'm hearing you, it's that depth and how do we get it? And I think you raise an interesting question that will probably fire people up. I'll get some tweets on this one, but like what, (laughs) how much do we cut out in terms of breadth in order to give them a deep and meaningful learning experience? That's right. Yeah. And that's a question that 
I think every institution needs to have that conversation because at some point, if you want to be in leadership and inspire your teachers to do some unique things, you need to give them the power to chop something off. That's and right. what gets chopped is going to be a brawl. <laughs> because, exactly. Right. And that's a, yes. a that's a cultural shift that we, we live in uh, informational abundance right now. You know, I just read uh, Will Richardson's Why School Again. Yeah. And, you know, the first time I read it, I think it was much more theoretical. And now I feel like it's a practical, I, like I've experienced so many of the things that he talks about within that book. Yeah. And so, um, but that concept of like, we're shoving so much information, like so much factual information that is important, but easily attainable. Whereas the deeper in experience and the deeper philosophical things that can happen when you dive so deeply into a topic. And that's yeah. kind of a passion of mine as well. I know. And so, you know, and, and it kind of flips over into what we were discussing earlier um, about research, mm-hmm. you know, and so we talked about, um, we were digging, we were digging into this, um, my friend, Stephen Anderson and I, and, and we wrote, wrote a blog post and you can check it out, but why, uh, what makes good research and education and why do um, uh, teachers, classroom teachers, Um, what are the barriers of them using research, Uh, either instructional practices, um, change theory, you could take a variety of angles. Uh, In literacy, it's, um, you know, uh, struggling readers, so we know it works, why don't they use it, Um, those types of things. And it kind of uh, molded everything you just talked about. It's like that proverbial needle in the haystack. There's so much out there. If you Mm -hmm. Google how to teach struggling readers, yeah, the list is, you know, miles right. long. Right. And so where do you start? Um, and, and how do you, as a leader of a, of a, of a building or a district, how do you support teacher learning something that's based in research because you're accountable to, you know, the school board and, right. and the community and, and students ultimately, um, that you are, are doing what you feel is best and the correct thing. But, but how do you get at research when it's become such an ambiguous term? Yeah. And, you know, as you were, we've had this discussion about how do we choose um, what to do in the classroom? How does the teacher make that choice? And I just had this realization that maybe what we should do is we should expose the students to that choice and let them choose for us, right? Like give them the power to say, and, and there's a lot of guidance that has to happen there. We need, as much as teachers need to struggle with the idea of how do we get depth and choose what's important. Um, I think we really need to teach our students how to get depth and what's important. And it ties, this conversation ties right back to where we started with the idea of when you're reading digital text and you're bouncing through all of these options, how do you choose where to go deep and how to back out of something? Like, how do you prevent yourself from going down the rabbit hole? That's right. Right? Because the, the problem that we face as educators trying to dig up the research and the problem that a student faces as they go through and are, are reading a digital text, a, a nonlinear digital text, is that we do have choices and we do have the ability to pick where we spend our time and focus our energies. Agreed. You know? And as much as we are struggling with the idea of that choice, I think we need to put students in the position where they struggle with it too, to come up with an answer. And also the understanding that, I mean, if you look at educators and you look at um, their careers, when they are in college, they have all of these databases and access to research and experts, you know, um, and then when you leave college, 
you no longer have access. And so how do you get um, uh, those things to make the best choices? Um, where do you even start? If you right. Google it, it's never ending, you know, how to teach them. Like I said, struggling readers, uh, where would you even start? Um, and so that's what we were kind of finding is not only the abundance, but also the access. And right. so how do you go from having all this access to no access as an educator? Right. Um, and on top of that, the language. And so if you were looking, let's say in literacy, most of the literacy research out there has been done and written in the psychology field. Right. And so, you know, as a social studies person, because I know that's your background, where is most social studies education theory written about, written from? It varies. And, you know, I think one thing that popped into my mind as you were talking about that problem is that if every time you go to solve a problem, Google is your answer, you're going to be sifting through all, like literally all of the world's knowledge. Part of the solution to that, though, I think, is the idea of using experts, right? Connecting with people in your community and your network to solve that problem. If you know someone is an expert on something, like, I'll be honest, the, the reason Shailen Farnsworth is on my uh, podcast right now is because long ago, I was working with a colleague in my school, uh, Gary Anderson, and I had a question about literacy, and he said, you should talk to Shailen Farnsworth. You are part of his network. And then That's as soon as our paths overlap, so I contacted you. And you gave me a, a great solution for something that I, I can't even remember the exact specific question, but I remember I was sitting in the, the cafeteria at Fromt High School in Palatine, Illinois, when it happened. So, and then years later, because you were in my network, the, the day after I got uh, the school, I, pre I presented to the school board for a one-to-one -one program for yeah. iPads in our district. Mm -hmm. And when it got approved, I had promised some very big things and uh, my apologies to the people in District 211, uh, at, but... <laughs> They asked me what I would do. I told them lots of things. And then I realized I didn't know enough to be an expert at this thing. I needed to create a network. So we then that's when you and I created one-to-one -one tech chat, which was right. a, a very big part of my personal development. You know, So I'm thinking that here, when we send students out to go find uh, information, find research, sifting those texts is one thing. But building a network of people who are trusted in certain fields, I think, is a whole other dimension that we could spend time on. Uh, in terms of being able to discern and delineate. If I had a question about reading, I, I know I would come to you. I know okay. I, would, I would go to those people. And just like you um, talked about that at the beginning, it is uh, me who came to you and, and Greg uh, yeah. when my student wanted to know about that specific, I can't even remember if it was Afghanistan or where his dad was traveling or something. Yeah. And you said, I don't know that, but I think Greg studied that in college. Um, and so right. because of your expertise in knowing about that and also who in your immediate circle would know about that, that's right. how I kind of got connected to everyone. So I think it's kind of funny that, and but also fitting that we had a conversation about literacy. We had a conversation about how we learn in a world of multimodal learning. And Part of that is community. I, I think educate learning is a social act, ultimately. It is. And um, if you had, you, I would never have drawn an outline that led us back to this idea of connections and community in a discussion of literacy. But I think a lot of times our conversations go back to that. Well, it, it is. It is such. Uh, an important part of being uh, again defining what makes somebody literate 
in that because of technology and the interconnectedness of the world and the experts and the friendships and the global communities that we are part of, that has become part of everyone's not only identity, but it also has to be part of their awareness. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, to be literate, you, uh, you have to be able to uh, partake in real world discourse. You have to understand people's um, cultures around the globe. Um, you have to be able to discern information, uh, understand that your search is different in the U.S. than somebody in a different country who's searching the same thing because of where they're based, algorithms, all those types of things. Right. And so to be truly literate, it is more than just word calling yeah. and uh, uh, being able to speak the words that you see in front of you. It is an understanding and truly comprehending of how social communication has changed and how we as you know educators and uh, uh, community members and connected um, part of this global um, group how we can support kids to identify all of those small nuances right. um, and so they can be part of it right yeah I like that you ended I think if we're gonna end somewhere we can end with the idea that we have to support them to understand nuance right maybe that's my t-shirt I, you know, uh, I'm, I, you know, I could ask you so many more other follow-up questions. I probably have three more episodes worth of depth yeah. and things that I could go on. But let's take this opportunity that we've come full circle. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the uh, what's becoming a very popular part of our podcast, and that's where we're just going to ask you three random questions. Okay. All right. right? Bring it on. Okay. So Greg always asks the music question. So he tried to connect with us uh, on his, he's currently over the Atlantic ocean flying to St. Martin to do workshops. So uh, he tried to connect. Not with feeling us. bad. Right. Not, I'm not feeling like, bad about that one. Oh, it must be hard working in a tropical paradise, but he, um, <laughs> because he can't be here. Let me ask you this. Like, so what music are you spending? Like what music are you focusing on right now? What's in your playlist? Um, I do enjoy music. I like to, uh, I have a middle school and high schooler starting this year. So I, I listen to a lot of contemporary music. I like acoustic music. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but sometimes, and I don't know if it's just because I'm with teenagers right now, um, uh, even listening to live music doesn't appeal to me. And so I either have the radio off or I'm listening to podcasts or talk radio. Okay. Um, so that's what, that's what's on my, my dial right now. Absolutely. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Like it's auditory the same way. Right? That's right. Okay. Next one. Um, if, what's your favorite memory? Ooh. Right. If you had to preserve for all time, one memory in a storage place of memories for the world, which one memory would be dearest to you? Oh my, that is a deep question. Yeah, I like that question. Wow. I think probably the memory of my son holding his baby sister. Mm -hmm. uh, she was just born because uh, didn't find out the sex of the child. It was a, a complete surprise. Um, mm -hmm. had, a, had a boy first. And I remembered um, that I, I bartered with God to please bring me a daughter. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, right. Those, uh, those um, uh, things that I agreed to uh, will remain with him. And right. uh, anyway, um, I think probably when she was born and uh, uh, brought her out and said, you have a baby sister. And he held her. I think that memory. 
of him holding his new little sister. Right. To think about it, it's it's a simple moment, but it defines the rest of your life. And you it see, does. you finally have all your people together in that one place. I I concur. All right. Um. Uh, next one. If what's one irrational fear that you possess? I have um, terrible OCD. Yeah especially when it comes to anything in public. And so if I use an ATM, let's say I roll up to get some cash out, I need some cash, use the ATM, I will drive around twice to make sure it goes back to the screen where it says, please insert card here. Right. It's so irrational. It, it completely is. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about things like that. Um, did I remember to grab my card and it went back to the, to the um, screen where um, nobody's going to have access to my account? Small um, public things like that drive right. me insane. And I got to continually circle back. If you ask enough people, you'll realize that everyone has a glitch right? They have their glitch, the thing that they can't let go, right? I can't let so, that go. I totally get that one. All right. So, um, Shailen, thank you so much for answering all of our questions and for being here. I, you know, there's so many other things that we could discuss. I feel like maybe in the future, we'll have to invite you back and talk about some of those things that we left unanswered. That's um, right. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about where can we find more about the work that you're doing? Where can we find, uh, where can people follow your work if they're interested? Sure. Um, if you are on Twitter, you can follow me at um, SH Farnsworth. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Facebook, all those different social media platforms. I blog regularly um, at shaylinfarnsworth.com. Um, and you can catch me at those various places, sharing everything I'm thinking. Not, uh, not podcast form yet, so thank you for having me. This is awesome. I'm glad you and Greg are doing it. Um, and it fits right into contemporary communications and literacy. So I will use this. Thank you so much, Shaylin. You've always been such an important part of my network, and it's great to have you with us here. The presenting sponsor of the So We've Been Thinking podcast is EdTech Teacher, leading change in changing times. For more information about our guests and resources mentioned within the podcast, please go to sowevebeenthinking.com. If you'd like to propose a guest or a topic, please reach out to us on Twitter, where you can reach us at Greg Kulowick at Sean McCusker, or send us a message on our So We've Been Thinking account.